1: Welcome to this week's Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we will be joined here in a little bit by Notre Dame coach Link Jarrett. Going to get into the 2021 Oma Irish season and look ahead to 22 as Notre Dame has begun fall ball already. Uh, So excited uh, to talk with, with Link about all of that. And then there's also been some pretty significant news in college sports over the last week as the Big 12 made it official uh, with their expansion plans, having lost Oklahoma and Texas, where where they're going from here. So we will also get into that from a baseball perspective. Uh, All of that here today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsoda. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsoto National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe. we're. Uh, we're into September, like I mentioned. Notre Dame has started fall ball. A lot of schools have uh, have started fall ball now, so uh, so baseball is rolling. The I don't know if the leaves are changing anywhere yet. They're certainly not changing here uh, in in Washington, but we're uh, we're we're into fall ball, and, and we're excited about what that means from uh, you know a, a baseball perspective, from a baseball America content perspective. We've got our recruiting rankings out already. We we talked about. Those on last week's show uh, were this week uh, going to be rolling out the top 100 impact transfers and, and followed by some transfer rec- class rankings. And uh, so it's all uh, it's all starting to come together as the as we look ahead to 2020. You
2: know, I had to. Uh... I had to wonder as you were introducing me and saying that I was joining you today. I had to wonder if actually you were going to say that you were joined by Millie because it was a well-timed bark there in the intro for for Millie to make her her presence heard. Millie is Millie is active today. Indeed, indeed, and that's okay. That's that's what dogs do, man. That's that's the life. Second, I was going to ask because you mentioned kind of foliage. Were you in DC in time for cherry blossom season? I'm not sure exactly when that is, but I know that's a that's definitely a thing there. Oh, I know that's a very early spring situation. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't aware of when exactly it was. Well, that's a shame. You have something to look forward to, look forward to next year. I also you're talking about some of the scrimmages and I put out a modest, you know, I don't ask for much. Like I feel like I'm a pretty, pretty simple guy. And I don't I don't ask for a lot in this life, I feel like. I feel like I'm just a come come what may kind of person. Um, but I have a modest proposal in light of Vanderbilt playing a fall scrimmage at UNC and then against Richmond in Cary at the USA baseball complex. Like my modest proposal is that all fall scrimmages get moved within 15 minutes of my house. Like, I, I honestly don't think that's asking too much.
1: The, uh, the way it's going about it and the way Vanderbilt has gone about it every year, except for, you know, last year when they couldn't play anywhere has been interesting. They're playing back-to-back days. Don't see that a whole lot. Uh, but they're going to be able to simulate a weekend a little bit more that way. They're doing it all on the road. Um, they often take a road trip somewhere. Two years ago, they went to Oklahoma State. Well, they played Oklahoma State in uh, Kansas City, um, so they like some neutral site too. It's uh, Tim Corbin, as always, thinking through things in a very interesting way. And um, you know, we, we've seen some some very exciting fall announcements um north carolina state is going to play duke in uh in durham which is uh you know a a fun showdown you've got georgia and florida as as they did in 2019 they're going to play in in jacksonville ahead of the football game uh the largest outdoor cocktail party for whatever it is they're calling it these days. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, we, we, we've seen some intriguing uh, announcements as, as fall ball games start to uh, start to push. And, and I like just seeing the creativity, you know, they, they drew a really large crowd for that Florida Georgia game in 2019. I imagine they will again. Uh, I imagine North Carolina state and Duke can put a lot of people into the stadium for uh for that game and uh i i would think that Vanderbilt and North carolina would be a nice draw as well so i mean these games they're uh yeah you know, I mean they're they're exhibitions they are what they are but they uh y- you have seen that there's a lot of interest when uh you put together something uh creative or
2: interesting like uh like some of those yeah i'm, I'm just heartened i think generally heartened to see some of this coming back because I was a little worried after, you know, we couldn't do them last fall that totally get it like unique situation. I hear you, but I was a little bit worried. They'd be slow to come back. You know, we'd have some teams do them. Some teams not, which is, which is always the case, but there are some teams that are really going whole hog again, um, which I think is good. If the eventual goal is, and it's, it's what I hope for the eventual goal is maybe we get some more of these as time goes on. Softball is allowed to play more of these in the fall than baseball currently is allowed um and in some places i think georgia florida is a good example i think we'll see what happens with nc state duke you mentioned them playing in durham they're doing it at durham bulls athletic park they're selling tickets for it like we'll see how well that goes i'd imagine there'll be a decent number of people there for that um you know i think there's some real opportunities for these programs not every program i get it but there are some real opportunities for these programs to turn these into spectacles a little bit and there's an argument to be made i think some coaches would make the argument that like well spectacle is not what we're looking for in fall practice so I hear you on that, um, but I do think there is a little bit of an opportunity. Well, to that to point, I
1: think I think North Carolina has it pretty well. Like, they're going to play this big game in Vanderbilt. They can go out on a Friday night, simulate a whole bunch of things, and maybe draw some fans. But they're also playing, uh, you know, a junior college for, right. I believe it's Walter State, um, for their other ones. So, like, that can be a little bit more of the, uh, you know, not spectacle game. I'm sure they'll play more than nine innings in that game and, and they'll, you'll be able to try out any number of, of players that they want to look at there. And so I, you can, I think you can have it both. I, I think you can have your cake and eat it too. And, and even with just two, and obviously if they were to ever add more fall games, uh, you'd be more equipped to do that. But even with two games, I, I think that there are some teams that are showing you can, you can do a little of both.
2: Yeah. So, I, you know, I think we'd all agree. It's a good thing to have those back. I hope they continue to grow, and I'm glad to see that the the pandemic year, where we had to take off from doing these types of games, did not necessarily slow the progress of trying to create some cool opportunities in the fall for for baseball teams to get out there and compete.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, like we mentioned here, Notre Dame kind of already into its fall practices, and uh, we're we're definitely interested in seeing what Notre Dame looks like going into to 2022. They, of course, this year won the ACC, reached super regionals, uh, fell one game short of living up to my preseason uh, Omaha sleeper tag, uh, very, very close to getting the Omaha Irish actually to Omaha. Uh, but it was a it was a fantastic season, um, you know, the the best season in close to twenty years for Notre Dame baseball in just Link Jarrett's second season. In South Bend, and of course, second season coming in a uh, a very interrupted or or just unique circumstances fashion there with uh, with all of the the protocols and, and the ACC's expanded schedule and everything. So, what Notre Dame now can do to capitalize on that momentum moving forward? They they do have some key pieces to replace, but a large part of the team is coming back. So, a lot to uh, to look ahead to here with uh, with Notre Dame in in 2022. Um, So we're we're very excited to uh, to be able to break that down here uh, with Link Jarrett and uh, we'll get to that interview here in a second. But first, check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Notre Dame coach Link Jarrett. Uh, Notre Dame, of course, coming off of a great season. Link, it was uh, it was really a special special season. Ends up in Super Regionals. At what point did you realize that that you guys had something special going?
3: You know, Teddy, I guess when we left Virginia and, and we won all three of those games at Virginia, um, I, I sense that we were on the right track. I, I thought Virginia was a talented team and the way our guys played on the road, um, you know, especially having not, not spent a lot of time outside other than actually playing on the road. That seemed to be the, the point for me where I realized we were understanding our, our ideas and concepts on how we were trying to play. And, um, we were talented enough to compete with what what I thought was a an extremely talented Virginia team, who, as as it played out, what was exactly that in an Omaha team. So that that was a moment for me.
1: Well, one person on this podcast believed in the Irish upside in twenty twenty one, and I don't <laughs> mean to throw Joe under
2: the bus, and it, it wasn't Joe. I just heard um, the bus beeping to back up. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get you now, Joe. That's right. That's right. That's okay. That's all
1: right. I was wrong. Hey, you know what? I was wrong. It, it's uh, it happens. And uh, it wasn't just Joe though, that was, was down. You guys preseason uh, Notre Dame was picked last in the ACC preseason coaches poll was, did the team use any of that kind of preseason doubt as, as a motivating factor? Did you guys, do you, do you want to just ignore those those kinds of preseason predictions? Like what, what did you take of, uh of that kind of, early season talk
3: you know teddy i i didn't really even look at it um and it's hard not to see that i i'm not for for a number of reasons i don't dive too deeply into the social media stuff i don't like too much coming at me and and that would be one of the reasons i quite frankly it doesn't it doesn't matter What is put out there in the preseason now individual accolades and honors. I I do like that for the players. If somebody thinks you're a preseason All-American, I think that's great. I mean, how many opportunity opportunities do the kids get to have that sort of national recognition? Not not many. Um, But team wise, you you can't really predict. How it's going to play out and nobody knows the new players, we all have to. Submit that information. We have to do it as well. Um, So we participate in it, but it's hard to predict whether Tanner Colehep is going to be one of the best relievers in the country. Nobody probably saw that coming. Um, John Michael Bertrand, when you look at what he had done in his career, I think the level of defense and athleticism around him on our club last year helped catapult him. And he was the first team all ACC. Arm, Colep was a an All American, and Cavadas was an All American, and they had had marginal success. Cavadas had some big moments. Cole and never really figured it out. And th- those are the hard things. So I don't, I don't really look at it. I don't talk about it. I, I've been picked to finish first. I've been picked to finish last. And you j- just have to go try to practice and train. With a lot of intensity and effort, and then compete and engage in the competition, and find ways to win. And I, I don't get into whether you're picked first, last, middle, with a team. Never have, and probably never will. And um, I thought it was reflective this, this year. I'm not saying everybody was was wrong, like <laughs> in, in how they did the preseason stuff, but it's just a tribute to the guys' tenacity and, and tr- finding ways to win games in a system that's quite frankly still new to them. It was just remarkable.
2: You alluded a little bit to knowing the moment kind of when you thought you had a special group and you you talked about a particular test being on the road for a group that hadn't had a lot of that for a number of reasons, but was there a point where you and your coaches maybe had to sit up and take notice of like, Hey, this is coming faster than we thought. Like this team is maybe even better than we thought. Was there anything about the success that surprised you and came faster than you imagined?
3: Well, um, I guess what surprised me is how intuitive the players are to learning a new system. There were two or three players that impacted the team that were new players, but it was basically the same group. Um, They really can take information, learn it, apply it, in a competitive setting as well as I've ever seen. So that was the concern I had going into it is am I throwing too much at these guys? Our coaching staff had never worked together before. So I'm standing there with 45 people looking at me and, and everything I was saying, it was the first time they've ever heard it. So that overwhelming Peace for me was my biggest concern, but they they took it and grabbed it quicker and better than I thought. And obviously we had enough talent to compete. Um, I would like to think some of the returning players improved and and they obviously did. So uh, but but just giving them this this information, how we verbalize what we're doing and how we teach things and you know how we run our team concepts, it was all new to everybody here. And that was that was the biggest challenge um going into this, especially when your second season is the COVID stuff and you have so many nuances to just simply get in the locker room and get onto the field and get out of practice and get out of the locker room in four groups. So I guess my my biggest concern was just do they understand this? Am I putting too much on them? Is it too complicated and The answer was they took it all. It wasn't too complicated, and they did it.
1: You're talking about some of those team concepts and the way you use pitching. I think is is unique. Um, You you had a lot of guys who were capable of extended outings, but not necessarily always a a set rotation or traditional relief roles. So how how do you guys go about setting up the pitching there with uh, with Coach Rostano and and what's kind of just the the driving philosophy behind that?
3: That's a good one. What we did last year with the pitching staff was the most unselfish, remarkable piece of work I've ever seen from a college team. Um, I, I tell the guys up front the value of a starter versus a guy that pitches in the fifth versus a guy that pitches in the ninth versus the guy that throws on Tuesday. Every one of these outs is critical. So don't ever put in your mind as a pitcher a premium on, hey, I'm the starter on Friday or I'm the starter Saturday or I'm the closer. We just weren't built that way. I didn't know how we were built until we got into it a little bit. And I guess what we really tried to do um, is get our most trustworthy arms the ball in situations that demanded working out of traffic and execution and performance. And as you go through it that way, you know, some of the guys weren't really built to start. And we would start them, but they they weren't getting us six, seven innings. You know, it might have been four. Well, if that guy throws four on Friday, when you start looking at Tuesday – he needs to be available to throw an inning or two. Not And in, in, in no way, when you look at our pitching stats, did we put anybody in a position to compromise their health. If anything, we protected them. But they knew that they had to be ready to pitch more than one time a week. Bertrand on Saturday, we just left him on Saturday. And he was the one that could lengthen it out a little bit for us and, and get through that lineup three or four times. So we just left him. So if somebody threw an inning on Friday, they might be able to come back and give us an inning or two on Sunday. And um it was just re- it was remarkable how unselfish these guys were. Never had any inkling of a thought or any comment about somebody wanting to start or can I can I just throw the ninth inning? Or never, not one time did it come up. And if you look at our pitching stats, it's the most amazing thing
2: I've seen on any college team. Eddie mentioned it in the introduction, but, you know, season comes to an end in a super regional, but you it's, it's at the hands of the eventual national champion in one of the most difficult atmospheres in college baseball. And, and you guys pushed them to a, a third game in that super regional. And obviously there's disappointment in not having advanced further, but in hindsight now, I wonder what kind of value you think the program gets from having that experience and looking at, Hey, you know, if we want to go to Omaha and compete for national titles, we know here it is. We know exactly what it takes because we, we saw it firsthand. Yeah, that was a tough draw, Um, you know, to to
3: revisit how we ended up there after winning the league by four and a half games. I I can't revisit that. Um, (laughs) I don't want to revisit that, but that's where we went. The atmosphere was phenomenal. The fans were just as into it as you could be. I've I've been fortunate to play about everywhere you could play or coach in the college game. and. the setting, the intensity, the atmosphere, the energy is up there at the top. Um, there are other places that are in that conversation. But our team and the way they, I will say embraced that environment it was great. Um, we gave game one, you know, going from our surface, which was a an older, softer turf, to their surface. Which is very fast. You know, we had some some balls that our guys in game one just quite frankly hadn't experienced that kind of pace and and hop and it hurt us a little bit. We should have won game one. We obviously handily won game two, and we just simply didn't get out of the gates in game three. That experience leaves a extremely bitter taste in the mouths of our coaches and our players. Our guys are still very upset. You can see the the carryover in how they go about their work in the fall from the resulting feeling you had in that super regional. I've never seen them work as hard as they're working right now. Now that doesn't always equate to more success, but you can see the determination to continue to improve. It's as clear as me talking on the phone to you right now, these guys want more, Um, very, hard to replicate and and do what we did last year but that's what they want and they've seen it it can't get any more difficult than that um i wish we could have hosted it Um, but when you go on the road you everybody's on the same field and you have to adapt you have to play the environment didn't phase our guys one bit i thought we handled that fine um they were a national championship caliber team athletic balance depth arm after arm after arm and you know the way Chuck and I managed our pitching was different than than what Lamb and Scott did, just the way the teams were built. Um, and and they got us, but no question, learn, file it away, um, be a little upset, carry that out every day to practice to find a way to get over the hump and and close those things out and make the plays you have to make, make the pitches you have to make, execute offensively like they still crave that, taste it, and I see them work on it every day.
1: You are talking about how they're they're attacking this fall and I mean most of that group is back. Um Colehep and Cavadas both were drafted and, and have begun their professional careers, but but by and large the, the team is is bringing up most of the guys back. You also add a, a really talented recruiting class into that. I mean, so what are you now looking for in the fall as as some competition develops and and you look to replace some key pieces, but also are, are bringing in some very talented newcomers?
3: There's there's a handful of freshmen out here that are going to be exceptional players, talented kids, talented kids. Um, they will push things. And some of these guys are going to find a place out there sooner than later, to be quite honest with you. Um, You know, we have our our three guys that started the bulk of the games on the mound are back. Uh, But we have to get better managing this the way Chuck and I managed it. Chuck did a phenomenal job calling pitches based on the variety of arms we had. We had a lot of lefties. That was neat. And we could go lefty, righty, lefty, righty. We could we could piggyback it through the game, and make it tough on an opponent lineup. But we have to we have to find punch out capability. We did not. We we're very effective pitching uh, in all areas, um, but the strikeout is the biggest weapon you have on a team when you can punch people out. Your pitchers can strike out opponent batters at a high rate. That's the ticket. And we have to get better at it. And we have some guys, you know, like Bertrand is back. Terrell is back. Mercer's back. Um, But we have to have a Liam who's 96, 98 miles an hour. He's going to throw 100 miles an hour. But there were times it wasn't consistent enough. His slider wasn't consistent enough. But it's there. So somebody's going to have to take some of those innings. Maybe it's McClinsky, one of our grad transfers from Seton Hall. Maybe it's Temple, one of our grad transfer right-handers from JU. Um, Matt Lazaro from Houston. Like, we have some grad guys. Somebody's going to have to pick up and elevate the stuff in traffic, mid-game, late-game situations. I, I think we're we're headed in the right direction with our starting pitching. But we've got to get a little bit louder with the stuff to put people away, and we've got Roman Kimball, electric right-handed arm, um, Radick Burkholtz, good freshman arm, Jack Finley, lefty, good freshman lefty, really impressive. Um, Brannigan, our third baseman, we have to figure it out on the mound. I mean, he's been anywhere from ninety-five to ninety-nine miles an hour, but it's not consistent. So he and Liam have as far as the, the radar gun and stuff would tell you just stuff to anybody in college baseball, but it's taking it into the game and navigating it and being consistent is where that's where our focus is this fall. So we're in a good spot. Um, you know, we've probably gotten more athletic, um, you know, Cole Hupp and Cavadas are all Americans that you have to replace, but Cole up coming into this, Probably was no, on nobody's radar preseason as an as a potential All American or a high draft pick. So we can develop it, and it'll happen. How and who? That's that's what the fall is about.
2: With Cavadas moving on in the lineup, I'm curious about how that maybe changes the way you expect to score runs last year. Not that he was not that he was the only guy doing anything, but you know, you lose that guy who's just such an anchor in that lineup in terms of just, you know, guy who can run the ball out of the ballpark at any given moment is such an asset. But with him gone, I mean, are you thinking any differently about how your team might score runs next season or is it not really necessarily about that?
3: Well, I think you're a little bit more um, across the board, similar in, in what you want to do offensively. Nico, the game took on a different shape when he was on deck, the game took on a different shape when he was at the plate and the game took on a different shape when he was on base. So I don't know of another player that that there were some obvious power guys in the college game, but he was right up there at the top, I would say. And I mean, a running was not his strength. Um, The intentional walk was, was, an obvious choice when people could do it. So as much as I like to run, sometimes it didn't make a whole lot of sense to try to run um, with him on deck or with him up because you wanted him to be pitched to. So there was a lot more thought in managing his position in the batting order and where we were in the game at the time than if the players are a little bit more similar. So that that's the different look. Now you know replacing 60 RBIs is hard. I hope that with everybody back and you know some very talented young left-handed bats here, um, and and players that were trying to get in the lineup last year that weren't, I hope we can pick up some of the slack and maybe have another dimension where. We do have more of a chance to run with that spot in the lineup, and maybe it becomes a little more complicated to deal with us. Um, that would be the positive way to look at it. The tough way to look at it is the guy drove in 60 runs in however many games we played, 50 games. So that's hard to replace. But the body as a whole, I hope, can can pick up some of the slack um, and be productive minus Nico.
1: Off such a such a big year uh, on the field. What what have you seen in terms of off the field? You know, we 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 know that Notre Dame is a you know such a, a big big time brand, uh, but of course we mostly think about that in, in terms of football and everything. But in the community, while you've been out recruiting or fundraising or, or doing whatever, what, what have you seen uh, in terms of response
3: to to the year that you guys put together? The people in this area. Are so appreciative of what they watched, and every time I'm out, that's one of the things about South Bend and Notre Dame. Like this university is the nucleus of what goes on in this area, and you're at the grocery store, or um, you know, you're out to eat lunch, and the people are thanking you. Like, Coach, thank you. That was so fun to watch. You guys were so fun to watch. Like, the regional and just the progression of the season and a championship, it's hard to win this league in in any sport. Not to mention when all of the teams in baseball and the ACC at one time or another were ranked, if I'm I'm not wrong. So people went inside the locker room stories, and I got to speak to a, a great group, On campus on Friday, and the people are just beside themselves with how much they enjoyed watching our team. And I, I didn't. It's crazy, Teddy. I didn't realize it until I actually watched some of the highlights. I'm, I'm so locked into what's going on and trying to stay one step ahead of the game and the strategy of the game and the pitching changes, like managing the bullpen. That I didn't see some of the things that really you would watch when I see the game in our team lounge on TV, like the replay of it, I, I now see why people said that was fun. And the super regional for me was not fun at all. Um, The outcome was brutal. Um, But when you see a highlight of it, I, I now understand what people comment on and why they thought it was fun to watch our guys. So. And the response has been amazing.
1: You are a Florida State grad and this this fall football season opened with, with Florida State and Notre Dame. How did you personally handle uh, handle that matchup?
3: Well, I'm so tight with the Notre Dame coaches family. I, I wanted Notre Dame to win the game. Um, like I cross paths with these folks every day and they've become very close to me and you know, obviously you, you want your alma mater to be a good. A good program in all sports and I do. Um, I, I wanted Notre Dame to to win the game I see what what these guys, some of which are you know friends of mine, the coaches and the, and the players and Bertrand's brothers the middle linebacker on the football team and that kid scratches and claws for everything he's ever had on the football field and he lays it on the line and I see that and I love those guys I mean I want them to win it all Um, but again you you look back at where you spent some very formative years and I want I want Florida State's program to be successful so that's how I watch the game you know I'm pulling for the personalities and in our Notre Dame football team as you hope that your alma mater is it finds its way back and is competitive. But you know I wanted the Fighting Irish to to obviously win that one.
2: We will get you out of here on this final question that we asked all of our guests. You've been very generous with your time, so we'll finish with something kind of fun here. Um, we asked all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich. And so I will filibuster here for a second to give you a chance to collect your thoughts. But the idea is we, we ask people to describe their favorite sandwich. It can be something that you make at home that you you know you, you make for yourself in your house or you know a sandwich from a local place um you know that, that you pick up from time to time you can really go any direction with it but please link Jarrett, describe to us your favorite sandwich
3: yeah it's pretty simple teddy and you this cannot be screwed up or done out of order you start with two pieces of fresh good bread it could really be any kind of bread um there's two sandwiches in play right now. We've got the turkey and the ham. If you're going turkey, you go mayo, then you go lettuce, then you go turkey, a lot of turkey, um, a little salt and pepper based on what turkey you get. If you kind of keep it a standard boar's head, you you don't need to go heavy seasoning, like, but maybe a little salt and pepper. If you get the Cajun or something, you you probably don't want to go too much. But if it's just a standard deal, season it up a tick, a little mayo on the other side, close it up, diagonal cut, get after it. If you go ham, like I'm okay with this. These are both at the top tie. Mayo, fresh tomato, sliced up, like, and you got to load it up. So sometimes you go a whole tomato minus the the ends, Um, salt. And pepper, a good amount there. Pile on the ham, mayo on the other bread, close it up. Harder to cut, but you still have to get a sharp knife and cut it. Either of those uh, are clearly number one. And um I don't mix the toppings there. I just like to keep it simple and clean, but it's a heavy thing. It's we're loading it up. Um, we don't go with a lot of chips or anything with it. I just like to really have that good, heavy, hearty sandwich. Either of those. How's that?
2: Coach, I, you know, oh I gotta, God. I gotta be honest with you. That's probably the best answer we've ever gotten. I'm not just saying that. That's i uh, I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and unilaterally call that the best answer ever for two, reasons, two things. One, I appreciate how much you're putting on the sandwich because if you don't have to open your mouth, like you're a snake unhinging, it's jaw to eat that sandwich, you haven't put enough on your sandwich. That's my first thing. Second, correct. There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything in life. And so the, the, you know, the idea that you've got a specific order, you're putting things on your sandwich, I think is exactly right. Cause that's the right way to compile, compile a sandwich. You know, there's, like I said, there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything in life. Well, um, I, I couldn't agree
3: more now when my wife and I are talking about like making a sandwich and, and she's offered to make the sandwich for me, you can also piggyback the that follows her asking me if she would like me to make a sandwich or if I would like her to make a sandwich for me, she tries to quiet me down because she knows that um, there are some specific ways. So I kind of have to wear it if she's actually going to make one for me and just (laughs) deal with that. So I try to, you know, you you don't
2: look a gift horse in the mouth there. If she's going to make it, I just be quiet and eat it. Yeah. That's right. You're not an unreasonable person, you know. You, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you still got to eat the sandwich and you appreciate the people in your life who, who love you and do nice things for you.
3: Yes, but if I'm making it, it obviously, you know where we're going. It's going to be done right and That's it's right. going to be big. That's right.
2: Yes, sir. That's right.
1: I love it. I love it. And we're uh, we're excited about Notre Dame. Uh, in 2022 maybe this year i can get joe on uh on the bandwagon maybe not we'll see uh but we're going to be very excited to see where you where you take this thing into 22 and, and how you build off of this uh this season so we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today here on the baseball america college podcast
3: well teddy joe thank you guys for the visibility and the exposure you provide for all of us in the game uh without your expertise and depth dedication to bettering our sport we would not be where we are and every coach will tell you that and I appreciate it I know how much time and effort you put into it so on behalf of all of us in the game thank you guys
1: well we really appreciate it coach thank you again to Notre Dame coach Link Jarrett for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast podcast Joe, I uh, I would say that maybe this will put an end to me um, getting at you about uh, not believing Notre Dame. But like, let's be honest. I'll, I'll probably continue to, to to hold that over your head for a little bit longer. But uh, what say you as we look at Notre Dame and how close they came to to reaching Omaha and 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 making me look even smarter
2: uh, in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, when when you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, not not too proud to admit when you're when you're wrong. And I, you know, I just had a lot of reservations about about Notre Dame. I mean, they they hadn't really gone out and done it yet as a program, Uh, certainly under Link Jarrett. They just, I mean, they didn't have that opportunity, obviously, with the 2020 season cancellation. So there was that. But you know, the the funny thing is, some of their some of the reservations I had, I don't want to say they came to pass, but they just did such a good job of working around them. And he kind of alluded to that, where it's like you know, I think what he was saying without necessarily being explicit about it is like, this was not a pitching staff that missed a lot of bats. And I think if you listen to what he talks about what's next for this program, like it does sound like they're definitely looking for some pitchers with a little more stuff. Like they want guys who can miss some more bats. And so, I mean, that's, that's good. I think people want that, but that was not a staff that did that last year. So they had to kind of get outs by playing defense behind them and being athletic behind the pitchers. And, you know, I think sometimes for, for observers, um, you know, who aren't with teams day to day, it's easy to kind of discount the idea of, okay, we get fixated on, you know, what can we expect from this pitching staff? It's we, they've got some, you know, relative soft tossers. They've got pitch to contact guys. Like how is that going to play in a world where the strikeout is becoming more and more prevalent. And it turns out it played pretty well because they just had the right group of players behind those pitchers and oh by the way the offense could could score runs pretty easily as well and that that certainly helped to where the, the pitchers didn't have to be perfect all the time so it was just a situation where it was a team that there were reservations about and I think there were rightful reservations about that team and they didn't necessarily have to go out and just blow everyone out of the water and prove all those reservations to be wrong because they were just able to work around them. And they did a really good job of putting that plan together, of building this team, and and maximizing what they could do with this team. Understanding that, hey, we we've got some limitations, um, but just about every team out there does. And so we're just going to do what we can to to work around those things. And I don't know that I've ever seen a better example of a team that uh, just got a, got everything they could out of what they were. They, you know they had some older players who, you know, like like Nico Cavadas, who just had their played their best baseball at, at this time. And um, they had some guys who, you know, he mentions Tanner Cole just figured it out the right time and kind of came together. Um, and, and what it ended up with is just a really fun team to watch. It was a really fun season. And now obviously comes the, I don't want to say the harder part, but now comes the challenge of turning that into something else. And um, you know, you've, you, we talked about this offline, like it, it doesn't necessarily seem like the train is, is coming to a halt, uh, which is the, the best news of all for Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look, at it and Cole Hupp was one of the better relievers out there and Cavadas was the first team all American first baseman with 20 plus bombs and uh replacing all of that is is no easy task but you know I I just wrote up Notre Dame's recruiting class it just missed the top 25 um you'll you'll see it in the next 10 group and you know frankly you know looking at it if you look at it, there just isn't that much separation between say number 21 and number 28 you know right so uh you could look at it and, and somebody else could look at it and say well that's that's a top 25 class and I I'm not here to tell you that that would be wrong in any way like I, I think it, it would fit if it had gone in the top 25 it wouldn't look out of place at all it's that it's that kind of recruiting class and notre dame can recruit really well they have at times in the past it's a big brand to to work to and they've had success and um you know there's a lot to like about that and and so there's no reason to think that that this couldn't be the way it's going to be going forward but it's not the way it's been necessarily in in the last five six seven years and so when you're you're looking at all the returning talent that they have and then you're talking about this group of newcomers and you heard link uh talk about some of those guys like roman kimball and jack finley and um you know some some of the other exciting talents that they they have on the mound i mean you start to to really get excited about what they can be moving forward and then they've also proven pretty shrewd at playing in the transfer portal already um, John Michael Bertrand, probably the the chief example of that coming over from Furman after Furman shut its program down, but he's far from the only one. And you know, Notre Dame is not a place where junior college transfers are really much of an option at all. So if you're going to you know look to bring in some experience along with your your incoming freshman, you're going to have to look to the to the portal. And, you know, we've seen some ACC schools, Duke especially, uh, play well with grad transfers. They're offering, you know, they have a really good graduate degree to sell and, you know, a chance to play in the ACC. And so you can come over from an Ivy League school or, um, you know, he mentioned Seton Hall and, and, and Jacksonville, these, you know, these, these solid academic institutions where, where, Graduate players are maybe looking for that graduate degree because they're already eyeing their post-baseball career. And if you pick up a, one or two of those every year, uh, you know, I, I think that could be a winning combination as, as well. So they've got the the bottom line here is Notre Dame is bringing in really good talent. They have really good talent on hand. It's going to look a little different without Cavadas without Cole but they've got guys – ready to uh to go there for
2: 2022 and beyond it's a great point you make about the, the transfer portal as as the guy has you know combed through the transfer portal this offseason, like a couple of programs have emerged already just in a couple of years that that i've been a super close observer of the portal a couple of programs have really emerged as having a reputation where if they take a transfer you kind of wonder like hmm, what am i missing about this transfer because I am pretty confident that he's going to be somebody for this program, even though the evidence might not suggest that to be the case. You know, I looked at Bertrand last year and his numbers are pretty good at Furman, but again, not to beat this dead horse, but it was like, okay, but like, he's not a big strikeout guy. Is he going to be able to get out in the ACC? And the answer was a resounding yes. And also just his durability was actually as important, if not more important than, than any sort of dominance that he showed. So um, you know, McClinsky, he mentioned from Seton Hall is a similar type of guy. Like that feels like it could be Bertrand 2.0, which would be great for them, but they've got some, you know, he mentions Austin Temple from Jacksonville and Matt Lazaro from Houston by way of Furman. Um, you know, those are guys where the numbers, you know, the stuff is ahead of numbers on those guys, frankly. And so like, I look at those guys and you, you, it's easy to look at the numbers and go like, what, you know, what is this is a super regional team taking on these guys who would appear to be cast offs from schools that are not as good as theirs. Um, I look at it instead now because of what they've already proven and go, you know, what are they seeing in those guys that maybe everyone else is missing here? So um, that's what happens when you, when you hit on some of these. Now you have to continue to prove it year after year. You, you can't just live off that reputation, but so far so good in, in terms of that. And it has me interested to see what kind of what rabbits they have to pull out of hats this next time around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Chuck Cristano is a, a good pitching coach and, and you know, They've got access to data that we don't have access to, and so I'm certain they are seeing something that um, the general public can't. And so I'll I'll be interested to see how those guys adapt, how they reshape the the pitching staff. Because I don't think it's realistic to think that they're going to approach pitching in the same way next year as they did this year. Uh, it was just such a unique situation that I don't I don't know that that it'll look the same. Uh, again, I mean Link said like there's he's never seen anything like that before. So to to think that it would uh would be similar is is probably uh not not what we're gonna see. So I, I'm interested in in that. I mean he mentioned Jack Brandigan, who had a nice Cape Cod performance, uh what he looks like uh going forward is gonna be significant for the uh for, for the offense. And I'll be interested to see, you know, when when link at UNC Greensboro they were a lot about speed contact um you know there's there's certainly some some power there for sure but cavadas is i mean there just aren't many players like that ever in college baseball at, at any given time uh the time power hitter is you know just like they are at every level of baseball is is a really valuable piece and to have perhaps the best one in the country is is you're not something you're going to have year over year. So to uh, I'll be interested to see if Notre Dame looks a little more, uh, you know, stolen base oriented moving into into this season or if they uh, if they develop more power in other places and, and just with that with that brings. But I mean, we have Notre Dame ranked in the top 10 right now of the early preseason 2022 rankings. And I, I mean, we'll, we'll see that It's not easy to repeat, what they did. Uh, Teams don't win the ACC by four and a half games typically, but I see every reason to be very confident, the Irish moving forward. Uh, And I don't envision them taking much of a step back this season.
2: I mean, nor I, and I know that it's a bit we do, which I'm fine with it being a bit, like it's a bit we do that, you know, I'm kind of the doubter and, and, you know, you're full speed ahead on it. But I mean, I think it'd be silly to expect anything. I mean, we, we'd maybe be having a different conversation about sustainability if it was like, well, this was fun, but that was a team that had, you know, eight players drafted and, you know, six others graduate and we're looking at a different team next year, but that's really not the case as we talked about. So I think it would just be super silly at this point to expect anything wildly different. I mean, could the team be as good and the results are worse? Sure. Like that happens all the time, but in terms of the talent we're going to see on the field, it's not going to be, not going to be much different. It might be better as he alludes to, just as they continue to recruit, you know, a more talented player than the, than the ones they've they've been recruiting previously. So, you know, maybe they're even better next year and you'll we'll have to see if that gets borne out in the results. But, you know, even I, who for this bit is the, is the doubter of the group, can't imagine a, a scenario in which this, this ends up being something uh, wildly disappointing in 2022.
1: I mean, it's uh it's just interesting that we're talking about Notre Dame like so consistently on, on a college podcast right now. I mean, they've had times where they've been really good before, like when Paul Maneri was there. Uh, but it just for for a while, for more than a decade, they were they were not at that level. And I it's uh it's just kind of interesting. You know, we had Link Jarrett on the podcast two years ago when he first took the job. And you know, and now he's back, and, and it's because Notre Dame's a, a highly relevant program, and it's just remarkable how quickly that has happened And in a job that, by the way, is supposed to be not particularly easy. They're one of the northernmost schools in the ACC. They are very difficult academically, and, you know, they have good but not great facilities, I, I think it's fair to say, uh, when you stack them up against some of the other ACC facilities that it's, it's good, but it's not, it's not like they have, um, you know, the duty noble up there. or something. Uh, so I, I just, the, the growth, the the quick turnaround, I guess I should say of, of what Notre Dame has been able to do has, uh,
2: has been really impressive. Yeah. I would say Eck stadium, not a, not a palace, uh, there. I, I got super lost on Notre Dame's campus one time because there, there are multiple buildings named Eck there. And so I just thought, well, I'll Google Maps, you know, I'll I'll just Google Maps Eck and like it'll pop up and that'll be fine. And I don't know where I ended up, but I ended up having to like walk all the way across campus to get to the baseball field. And uh, I did pass Touchdown Jesus, though, so that was nice. I kind of got to see that that landmark as opposed to having to seek it out later. But um, I forget where I was going with this. Oh, yeah. You know, Eck, not a not a not a palace, but um, but certainly, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are some challenges there, but I think it it goes to show this was the larger point I was I was going to make. I think it's big for college baseball that, that Notre Dame has had this resurgence, not in the way that you sometimes hear it talked about in football where it's like, oh, it's just better if Notre Dame is is great or USC or Texas or entry your team here. Although I guess we could have a debate about whether that how much that's the case or not. I mean it just more in terms of when we've seen, you know, you go back to Indiana under Tracy Smith, for example, but then it extends to you know Michigan under Eric Bakich and now Notre Dame. Where you don't have to be limited by geography. And I think we get sometimes get trapped in this discussion about college baseball where it's a it's a regional sport. And that's, I think that's true and will always be true given the schedule. However, what those programs I think have done is say, why, you know, why do we have to be limited in that way when you look at the way Michigan recruits California? And I get that there's a connection there with Backage, but I think there's something to be said for these types of programs lifting the ceiling off of what people feel like Midwestern or Northern or however you want to define that programs can accomplish in college baseball, because yes, there are challenges, but if you're a major brand, if you're Michigan, if you're Notre Dame, if you're Indiana for that matter, like only you are really limiting yourself in some ways um, by seeing yourself through that lens. And so I, I think that's, that might be, that's a very ephemeral thing, but I do think that's an important thing in college baseball. It's uh it's very like self-help sounds
1: bad, but it's uh like a, very big on the affirmation. It yeah, it's crunchy. Like, it's, like very... a, it's
2: like a crunchy granola is another phrase I've heard used for this very like uh philosophical, like it's a very crunchy granola type of thing, you know.
1: We're uh we're getting deep here on uh on this this episode of the podcast. Uh all right. So we're gonna talk plenty more about Notre Dame going into uh the preseason. Like I said, they're right now a top 10 team. So we'll uh, we'll have plenty more chances to discuss Notre Dame and their, their chances going forward. I want to now um, kind of flip over, talk about some of that news. The, uh, the Big 12, as we discussed uh, this summer, went through a significant uh, overhaul as Oklahoma and Texas Prepared to exit the conference for the sec and the the big 12 is left at kind of uh, a difficult point here in that they have to decide well what are we now going forward we need to expand uh we only have eight members uh once oklahoma and texas leave the the conference so what does that mean now uh for for the rest of the league were the eight schools going to stick together? Were they going to go somewhere else? All the rest of that. Well, we now have an answer to that and they are sticking together uh, partially because the Pac-12 said that they were not interested in expanding and the Pac-12, Big 10 and ACC formed you know, some sort of pact looking to um, create more stability in college sports. So it, it looked like things were were calmed down and the Big 12 was able to settle on an expansion policy. And they are now... As they made this official, they're bringing in BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. And from a football, this is being run by football. Um, That's not just me saying that, looking from the outside. like They were pretty open in the idea that they were targeting football and TV markets uh, in this. But from a baseball perspective, Joe, uh, they also make out pretty well here. Um, you get BYU, a team that doesn't have like an incredible amount of postseason success recently. They, they most recently were in the tournament at 17, but they've been a quality program in the West Coast Conference for uh, uh, for a few years now and look to be in pretty solid standing there under Mike Littlewood and they have some historic success. In Houston, you have prior to ECU's like surge ahead under Cliff Godwin, Houston was probably the class of the American. And you know that's a team that has made super regionals and if you go back long enough, made the World Series and, and hosted regionals and all the rest of that, like they uh they should reasonably fit in with the big 12 uh cincinnati is experiencing a a resurgence under scott guggens and i think they definitely have the right coach there um they are probably fourth on this list in terms of of baseball schools though and then ucf long thought of as a a sleeping giant uh you've seen what they can tap into from a football perspective this is a program orlando uh a, a lot to like about what they bring to the table from a baseball perspective and uh they haven't had the level of success that Houston has had but there is reason to to believe moving forward that the UCF will be a, a a solid baseball playing school uh they, they certainly have the pieces there to do so from so for me from a baseball perspective this uh the, the Big 12 comes out looking pretty good in this they lack uh, you know, none of these schools are Texas, none of these schools are Oklahoma, um, but I don't, I don't know that they're so far off of where Oklahoma is now. Uh, that they, they do lose one of their perennial national title kind of contending type teams in, in Texas and, and the only school in the Big 12 to have, have played for or won a national title this century. That was always going
2: to be impossible to replace. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about the Big, I think we talked about this. On a previous episode when we, we talked about Texas and Oklahoma leaving is that the Big 12 is whatever it looked like and now we know was still probably going to be a pretty solid baseball conference just because you've got programs like Texas Tech and TCU and, and Oklahoma State that are you know national title contenders at least in theory to a degree greater than those programs are in football and with the exception of Texas Tech also in, in basketball and so there's still a good conference here. And I think this, you're right that, you know, they did add good volume. They kind of get back to a larger number, which I think is, is helpful in a, a few different ways. They can play a larger number of of conference games, which could theoretically help, you know, from an RPI standpoint, if some teams were not scheduling well, all, all those things kind of think get baked in there. But, um, I, I do think it's a, it's a pretty good group to add, you know, you, you touched on a lot of it there, but I think, I think Houston's in a good position to kind of take advantage where that's a program that, I think was, now I'm not on those recruiting visits with Coach Whitting and and his staff, but I have to imagine that being that they're in a state with a whole bunch of teams that are in either the SEC or the Big 12, um, that had to be something that hurt them as a differentiator between some of those programs. And so you remove, at least theoretically, one of those walls, we'll have to see how the perception of the Big 12 evolves as this happens, but that's a program that's invested. You know, they've got a new indoor facility, they've made some improvements to their playing facility. that staff has had a lot of success so i think this removes a wall for that that program so i think they are um, someone that can really take advantage of this i think and kind of raise the ceiling on what they're able to do because they've been a big at times they have been a big 12 quality program that just hasn't had that that designation ucf is, is kind of interesting when when people ask me you know what if there are any programs out there that are like kind of sleeping giants or that are untapped you know the answer mostly these days is no uh, because, if, you know, if you've been committed to the time to do that was two decades ago, and we see that with some of the programs that, that popped up a couple of decades ago. Um, but UCF might still be one. You, know, you mentioned a lot of the reasons, location, um, also the idea that their administration clearly is willing to invest if you show commitment and that you start to show a proof of concept. And so I think this this only helps in that regard. The wild cards, of course, are Cincinnati and, and BYU and, and BYU in particular, because now they are the West Virginia of this conference where they are, are way out there. And, you know, the travel is going to be tough. Um, you know, that the, the conference scheduling gets a little wonky because they don't, they don't play on Sundays. So there's a big the Thursday to, to Saturday series coming to a, a, a big 12 season near you. Um, so they will be a little bit of an outlier. Um, interestingly though, they, you know, they, they are more equipped now than they have been in the past. You, you mentioned the talent they've been recruiting there. So that'll be a fascinating one, but I think it's still a, a really good conference that the question I think is just going to be and we we can't know this this is unknowable right now but uh, the question I think will just end up being what is the perception of this league moving forward because ultimately in a sport when yes we use data we we have the RPI for example as flawed as that is when we when we talk about selection committee sports perception still matters a lot Um, human beings still make these decisions and how the big 12 ends up being viewed uh, in 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 um, comparison to the SEC and the Pac-12 and ACC, yes, but also, by the way, to the what the new version of the American and the Sun Belt and Conference USA and the Missouri Valley um, is just as important. Um, and so those are things that uh, will only be revealed over time. But it's easy to say these these additions are really good. I think the Big Twelve is in a good place and quite another to see that play out because we just don't know how this league is going to be valued. And some of that can be proven on the field, but some of it kind of is just in the eye of the beholder.
1: There's going to be a lot of pressure now on TCU, Texas tech and Oklahoma or Oklahoma rather. Those are the schools that are going to have to carry the flag here. Um, And to a large extent, they're already doing a, a large amount of the work, you know, you, you you have Texas and that can never be discounted what Texas is bringing to the table. I mean, right now they're the preseason team in, in 2022, but, you know, Tech has made several World Series under tablock. Oklahoma State has made the World Series under Josh Holiday and just built a new gorgeous ballpark and has an incredible amount of history and tradition. And TCU has made the world series five times in the last decade. Now they are working with a new coach uh, as Kirk Sarlus takes over the program from Jim Schlossnig, but they, uh, they're, they're in a, those, those three schools have to have to carry the flag and then let Houston, UCF, um, you know, maybe BYU and Cincinnati can step up and, and be, Uh, West Virginia-like, but let Houston and UCF get on something of a track that, like, TCU went on when they came into the league. TCU needed a year to get its feet under it in Big 12 play and then ran off four straight uh, College World Series appearances. Now, no no one's expecting four straight College World Series appearances from any team in the country. You know, I mean, maybe you can sit here and say that for Florida and Vanderbilt. But four straight is really hard to do for anyone, let alone a team, you know, moving into the Big 12 for the first time. But TCU did it. And so if if Houston or UCF or any of these schools could just go on something of a path similar to TCU, maybe not to the very top of the sport, but, you know, they do seem to be just kind of the best case scenario in terms of adjusting to this league. And doing it in a, a very quick manner, uh, I, I think that when when this all goes down, the, the Big Twelve, from a perception standpoint, doesn't need to take a big hit, but it is going to need Tech, uh, Oklahoma State, TCU, somebody to step up and and be be the leader, and and they certainly can be because you know it. it while Texas has the history that they have and the incredible highs that they have it's not like they've had a monopoly on the top of this conference. In fact, it's it's often been Tech uh, or, or TCU carrying the flag for the Big 12 over the last five, six, seven years
2: anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say quick, my last thing I guess here is just, you're right to say, you know, it's important for those schools to kind of carry the flag because the perception of conferences, and this is something that, you know, like the Pac-12 in football is dealing with a little bit, is the perception of conferences happens at to the top so you know maybe byu and cincinnati are more competitive right away than we expect them to be um, but ultimately that is probably not going that's not going to do nearly as much for the perception of the conference than houston being tcu 2.0 or ucf being tcu 2.0 and those schools competing for conference titles and you know tech and, and tcu and oklahoma state continuing year by year to to compete to get to omaha and baylor you know doing the thing where it gets to regionals just about every year like. The, the perception happens at the top. And so, you know, yes, you'd ultimately like there to be a lot of parody, but parody is not going to ride you to being considered a power conference, whether in, in name or just in perception.
1: All right. So the flip side of this is that three of those schools UCF, Cincinnati and Houston come out of the American. And now when this goes down and it, it hasn't been, Firmly decided when this is going to happen, but it probably will happen for the 2024 baseball season. When those schools leave, the American is going to be left with five baseball playing members. They are definitely going to need to expand, not just for for baseball purposes. They're going to need to expand, and we don't have a firm idea yet of what schools they're looking at. I mean, you've. You can look around and find people talking about Charlotte and UAB or Marshall or, you know, should they look really far out west and, and try and, you know, grab San Diego State and Boise State to become the the best football playing conference they can be. And so there are a number of different ways they can go and until they make some more of a move, we it's going to be hard to evaluate where that conference is headed from a baseball standpoint, but you know, as it stands, the the five baseball playing members are ECU, South Florida, Tulane, Wichita State, um, Memphis. So you're looking at those five members and there are five strong baseball or that's a strong group of baseball programs ECU back-to-back super regional appearances, maybe the best program, uh, never to have, have made an Omaha appearance. Tulane has Omaha pedigree and, you know, in new Orleans, uh, you know, every reasonable to believe that, that they can continue to be a solid program moving forward South Florida, coming off of a super regional appearance. Wichita State, I mean, has as much tradition as as any of these schools, has a national title, looks to be resurgent under Eric Wedge. And um, you know, Memphis is another one of those programs that I think people are kind of looking at as a jump could be made there. If there's a lot to like about it. Uh they haven't been it yet, but there there's reason to believe, I think, that uh with uh with the the right situation they could they could kind of explode and i mean you, you're seeing what they're doing in basketball under penny hardaway they're bringing in the number one ranked recruiting class this year and football has improved i mean there's reason to believe that that something could happen there from a baseball perspective uh in time so those five are a good core but now they're gonna have to add to it and, and it's gonna be really significant that they find the right teams and this is. It's not going to be about baseball at all. So if they decide that, you know, Marshall is the right answer for football, well, I mean, that's not going to be a a great help to, to the baseball group in there. And, you know, for ECU, this is really significant because ECU has really benefited from the American being as strong as they are typically in RPI. They're consistently top five. They've risen as high as number three in the RPI. And that's part of why ECU is able to host regionals, and you know we know how important that can be. So for ECU, for South Florida, for, for Wichita, for for these schools with baseball aspirations, finding the right assortment of schools is going to be critical um, for them to uh, to keep their standing.
2: Agreed. You know I think they're in good position. I think you you certainly feel better about what they have left than maybe you did, you know, ending 2019, going into 2020, because at that point we still weren't sure what to expect from Wichita state. And they've clearly been better under Eric wedge and South Florida would look like a program might be trending downward. And now they've got that reversed, went to a super regional 2022 team might be better. Um, So you do kind of like this grouping more so um, than you, than you would have thought a couple of years ago. And, you know, I just spent a decent amount of time, you know, Blowing smoke towards Houston, saying, "Hey, you know, this could be something that helps that program take a jump and be something more than it is." But let's not forget that that team was really not good last year, and had been trending downward a couple of years before that. And so, there is a high ceiling there, but they are the type of program that you know they'll want to get that turned around before they go into the Big 12, because also you run the risk of if you get buried the first couple of years in the Big 12, that can kind of be a hard reputational hole to climb out of. So, I say all that to say on paper, you look at it and you say, well, you lose Houston, UCF, and a solid team in Cincinnati. Like that's, those are tough losses, but really, you know, they haven't had Houston the last few years. UCF has been a good program, but they've been inconsistent in terms of getting to the postseason and Cincinnati, we've said a lot of nice things about them, but they kind of are what they are. They're probably capped a little more of a ceiling than the other programs here. So really, you know, if you were going to hold on to some teams like East Carolina is probably choice one, from a baseball standpoint, you could argue about Tulane versus some of Houston or UCF for the second choice, but long story short, they're still set up in a pretty good place. And, and you mentioned East Carolina being, you know, this is important for them. And I think, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, they have to be kind of nervous about these choices because you don't, you don't want not good. You don't want local programs that are not good because that, that doesn't help your quality. That helps your quantity, um, but that doesn't help your quality. Uh, you also don't want better teams that are far flung. Like the Greenville to San Diego leg of trip would be brutal. Uh, if you're going to go play. That would San would be Diego impossible for baseball. I
1: mean, baseball. it would take like two days. I can't <laughs>
2: even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Like, so you'd love, I mean, San Diego state from a competitive standpoint, great a base, you know, on the diamond, but man, that would make travel really, really difficult for a large, I mean, yes, Greenville is uniquely difficult. Um, but Tampa and lunch yeah, better. it's mostly a school or a conference of big cities, you know, Tampa, yeah.
1: Memphis, New Orleans. But there, yeah. there is there is still a lot to be said for going all the way to San Diego's, uh, you know for a weekend.
2: No doubt. And so, you know, if you're East Carolina, what you want to avoid is different situation, different circumstance. But you don't want the end result to be that you're coastal in the Big South. Now, that worked out for coastal in a lot of ways. Um, but I think you'd rather not be that if you can avoid it. So these are these are important conversations for the American, and I'll be interested to see what what comes of it. And darned if we're not going to end up with something that probably looks a whole lot like maybe not the exact same teams, but maybe in the spirit of the old Conference USA. Honestly, like that, it's very reasonable that we get back to a point where you know they they pull up Rice or they pull up a Southern Miss or you know what have you, and it's like well we've we've got a really good baseball conference here that looks an awful lot like the original CUSA.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, that, that may very well be where this ends up and, yeah, you know, there've been some high thinking conversations about like, well, what if the American and the Sunbelt and conference USA like got together and at least for, uh, you know, sports other than football, like formed something of a geographic group that, that like worked better. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's a realistic situation. I think there are a lot of egos in play. Anytime you're, starting to talk about something like that but if that were to happen that would be intriguing as well the the last thing i want to mention here with the american is that it's not just these three teams they're losing they also lost uconn a year ago and from a football standpoint that didn't matter one bit they actually were that they're probably just fine without without uconn uh but from a baseball perspective i mean that was a really good program in the American, maybe not ECU and Houston at its at its best, but it was a team that was consistently going to be competing for regionals and was a big benefit to its RPI because of the way UConn scheduled and, and how good they are. So, I mean, the, the days of the American potentially being a number three RPI conference, I think they're over once, once they lose
2: these last three schools sometime in the next couple of years. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it's still, I would bet. I mean, we'll have to see. But you're right about that. It's a good point. Um, I I meant to bring that up that, you know, the days of it being like, if you squint hard enough, there are years when it's better than the the Pac-12 and maybe better than, you know, pick whatever conference you want next. Yeah,
1: I mean it's been better than the Big Twelve at times. I, I think the years
2: that it's finished third, it's typically been behind the ACC and the SEC. Yeah, at the expense of the Big Twelve. Yeah, so you know that you're right. Those are probably over. It's still probably. I mean, now it's probably more solidly wedged between what we will call the power conferences and what we will, whatever the next tier is, the Big West at all. Um, you know, I think now it's more solidly kind of out there on an island by itself. You know, uh, it it already you know, feels like it kind of occupies that space in football, where this is clearly better than the other, as they call them in football up until now, group of five leagues, but it is also clearly not as good as these power conferences. And and it feels like they're actually trending more towards being that in baseball now, where I think it's, I think it's still better than most of what you call mid-majors, but also is not going to be a, a conference that challenges to be the third best in the, in the nation.
1: Yeah, I mean previously I had called them a major conference and then been kind of iffy on whether the Big West like in any given year was or wasn't a major conference and I mean you're right I I don't know we'll we'll have to see how it shakes out if I can I can craft a few schools for them to add that would would, would keep them there um you know call up call up Charlotte call up you know maybe Rice um and a uh, Southern Miss or Louisiana Tech or uh, Coastal. I, I guess it would probably be Coastal Charlotte, and then pick a more Western school, um, whether that's that's Rice or or La Tech or Southern Miss. And you've probably got your uh, you know they're they're probably right back where they are now. But I mean, they're not going to ask me for for advice on that. They're going to have Rice football is a problem. <laughs> so you know, do, do you want the Houston market badly and? enough that you're going to take price uh yeah that 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 would remain to be seen so they they, there's a chance that they come out of this looking pretty good still but i i think right now it's probably not going to trend that way and uh that's really unfortunate and and we'll just kind of have to figure out what that means for ecu and, and for everyone else uh, moving forward but but for now a lot of uncertainty there in uh, in the American which has been a really fun conference since uh, since it's the biggest frankly all right that's going to do it for us here on the Baseball America College podcast remember we are coming at you once a week here through the off season uh, with uh, with some fun interviews from around the college baseball world today that meant like Jarrett uh, so, if you have someone you're interested in hearing from on the podcast, mm. you can find me and Joe on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Hill uh, Happy to uh, to take suggestions there, or you can drop them in the uh, in the reviews there on iTunes, preferably with five stars. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep coming at you. Uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us. <laughs> anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, remember there's plenty of content over at baseballamerica.com to check out as well. So thank you everyone uh for listening. Uh thank you to Link Jarrett for joining us and to my dog Millie for joining us as well and for everyone
0: for yeah, putting up bye with millie uh,
1: <laughs> Yes, thank you to everyone for putting up with Millie. She's uh, been a little more active today than normal. Uh and we'll be back here next week. Uh so Until then, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?
2: I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point.